Let's just welcome Pastor Lereko, who leads our 12 o'clock service. Good morning, family. So good to be with you this morning. Can we uh, turn our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis chapter 21? And, uh, and as you do so, I'll bring you greetings all the way from every nation, Rosebank, 12 o'clock. <laughs> We're growing as a family, and it's awesome to be a part of what God is doing. Um, he's doing some amazing things in our family, and I, I, I encourage you to continue to pray uh, for, for the work that, he, that the Lord is doing here, um, and also uh, prayerfully consider how you may be a part of that. So I'm excited that we're having uh, a volunteer Sunday today. I tell you what, I, I'm really excited about what the Lord is going to do today um, because I'm just seeing how He's aligning uh, a very specific theme and just just watching or just enjoying the worship and even from Pastor Simon's uh, offering message, but just that the Lord is having his hand on something very specific this morning. Um, and he's bringing hope. Have you found your way to Genesis 21? You just open your Bible and then go left. And keep going left. And you'll be fine. If you don't have your Bible uh, here this morning, good news is uh, decided to be kind. I don't usually do this. I usually try and spite you if you didn't bring your Bible to church, that's kind of my whole plan, but um, I, I, uh, I, I thought, let me be kind today. So, so we're, we're going to read, I'm going to read the, the, this portion of scripture, and you can, if you can just follow with me either on the screen or in your Bibles. Genesis 21, verse 8 to 21 says, the child grew and was weaned, speaking of Isaac, the child of Abraham, the child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking and said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she, sat, she, then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water 
and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Amen. Awesome scripture about the family of Abraham and some interesting things um, that, uh, that happened there. And, uh, and as we begin, let me start, let me start with the confession. I um, something that you, you didn't know about me. I might give you a turn to do the same. <laughs> Growing up, I watched soapies religiously. That was just the thing, a thing I did. Days of our lives, bold and the beautiful. Then Isidingo, generations, maybe some homework, Muvango. That, that's how the evening went, right? <laughs> Don't judge me. I know many of you are in the same boat. A lot of us have been delivered. <laughs> Look, it was around the time when I still believed the wrestling, you know, WWE was real. So forgive me for my na- naivety. I might have just burst a bubble for someone in the room. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but I, I love soapies because I love stories. And I love storylines. And, uh, and, and, and the place to get them was on TV in, in soapies. Little did I know that if I would just open the Bible and start to read the Bible, man, it's incredible the storylines that develop as we read the Bible. It's like reading a soapy. So today, I want to talk to you about the last installment of our What If series in fact, next week we're going to be starting on a, a new series. Of co- we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. It's going to be very exciting, but we're closing off the What If series today. And I want to pose a question to you as we start. What if there was hope? Would that frame how you live your life? Would that frame the decisions that you make? Would that frame your responses to your circumstances, if there was hope. I want to talk to you about the family of Abraham. I call them the disappointed family. And I imagine if I were shooting this soapy, that this would be the title, the disappointed family. And if I look at the main characters, Abraham. Abraham is a revered character in the Bible. He's a patriarch. He's someone we look to as a father of the faith, somebody who pleased God with his faith. And indeed, Abraham was a great man. He was a leader. He, he, he owned a, a lot of livestock and he, he, he commanded people and, and he, was, he was well respected in his community. But Abraham lived a disappointed life because although he had everything, he didn't have the one thing that he truly wanted. He didn't have an heir that would carry on his name. And this was a burden to him for the majority of his life. What about Sarah, the next character? Sarah, wife of the patriarch, revered amongst women. She has it all except the one thing that she truly desires. 
which is to give Abraham a son. And so she lives from a place of disappointment. And we have Ishmael, who is the son of Abraham by his slave wife, Hagar, who for 15 years was the favored son. For 15 years held a position of prominence, was the sole heir, until one day all of that changed. One day, and in one fell swoop, he lost it all. His mother, Hagar, who went from being a slave and a servant to Sarah to being a, a, a slave wife to Abraham, who was admired for her rise, who, who, who gained influence because of her ability to give Abraham a son, in one day, lost everything. Guys, I think we can get lots of ratings if we put this on TV. This, <laughs> this is a great story. But I want to focus on Hagar. I want to focus on the story of Hagar for the remainder of our time together because there is a fascinating lesson to be learnt on how we may live our lives. So in Genesis 16, 10 to 13, reads thus, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have, have I also here seen him who sees me. So Hagar, when we meet her, is a slave. She's a servant to Sarah. A peer with other slaves. But because Sarah is unable to bear children, she gives Hagar to her husband to bear children on her behalf. And so, Hagar falls pregnant with Abraham's son. And her life changes. She just won the lottery. It's awesome to be Hagar right now. She's pregnant She's expecting a child. Everybody ex is excited. Abraham is relieved. She gets special attention. And it goes to her head a little bit. And it starts to go to her head. And she starts to be disrespectful towards her mistress. Towards Sarah. And Sarah goes to Abraham. This is the backstory. Sarah goes to Abraham and says, look what, look what you've done. She says, look what you've done. She says, in fact, she says this directly. May my mistake be upon your head. Um, do with her what you want. She's your slave. And so, and, so she, and so Sarah starts to treat her harshly. And because she's treated harshly, Hagar runs away. And in the process of running away, she's at a well. And that's where the angel meets her and gives her this amazing prophecy. Meet her at a well, 
says, I'm going to multiply you such that your descendants cannot be counted. Wow, it's good to be Hagar today. Not only that, you're pregnant with a son. Jackpot. It's awesome to be pregnant. Better to be pregnant with a son in the economy of this day. So not only has she just been told that she's going to, she's going to have innumerable descendants, now she's told that she's actually going to give Abraham a son. Go back to your mistress. It's going to be well with you. So she goes back to her mistress, and for 15 years, they live in that way. Hagar in a position of prominence. For 15 years, things are good. And then one day, one day when God's promise to Sarah is fulfilled, and she has born a son, and he is now being weaned, and, they ha- and it's exciting, and they're having a feast. Sarah spots Ishmael mocking Isaac, and she decides, I can't take it anymore. I, I have, I have I, I, I've arrived at the end of my rope. It's been 15 years that I've tolerated this behavior. 15 years that I've tolerated this woman. Now her child is mocking my child. I refuse to tolerate this anymore. And so she gets Abraham to chase her away. So Abraham has this difficult decision now. And he goes to the Lord and the Lord says, it's okay. Do as, as your wife says. So he gives her some bread. He gives her some water and he sends her off. In one day, her fortunes have changed. And so Hagar and her son find themselves wandering the wilderness. Yesterday, they were at a feast. Yesterday, she had, she had security. She had safety. She had food to eat. She had servants. Yesterday, it was great. Today, she finds herself wandering the wilderness with a bit of bread and a bit of water, and her son. Here's the thing about the wilderness. If we follow the themes in Scripture that speak about the wilderness, we realize that the wilderness is not necessarily a place of punishment. In fact, I would like to put before you that biblically speaking, the wilderness is a masterclass. The wilderness is a place of testing for promotion. And so we see the Israelites going, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before they get it. And they receive promotion. We see that David had his time of testing in the wilderness before he became a king. John the Baptist spent his entire life in the wilderness. Jesus, after he had been baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for testing before God would raise him up. Hagar wanders in the wilderness. The wilderness, although it's a place that sets you up for promotion, is a difficult place. 
it is often a place of isolation. There are no friends in the wilderness. It is a lonely place when you find yourself in the wilderness. In fact, this morning, some of you may find yourself walking and wandering through the wilderness, wondering where your breakthrough will come from. Hagar walked the wilderness, isolated, with her son, wondering where her breakthrough would come from. Wilderness often, often allows time for you to reflect on the mess that sometimes you've built upon that has gotten you to that place. Because of our failure to reflect, because of our failure to heed the counsel of God, we find ourselves sometimes in the wilderness. Because when you fail to listen to the wisdom and the counsel of God long enough, there will come a time where because of his love for you, he's going to have to take you from a place of bounty and put you in the wilderness place so that he can distill you. So that you are away from all distractions. And he can work on you, and he can sharpen you, and he can prune you. Difficult place, because pruning involves cutting. Sharpening involves friction. It's not an easy place. But I tell you what, it strips you of your self-reliance. It strips you of your self-preservation. It strips you of pretense. Oh, it's easy to pretend in the crowd. It's easy to pretend when we're gathered like this. In fact, some of my, one of my favorite forms of, of, of observing pretense sometimes, and I'm about to step on some toes right now, is God is good guy. How you doing, brother? God is good. Been a long time, haven't seen you. How's things at work? God is good. How you feeling today? You're right. Praise him. Praise him on high. Brother, I know how God is doing. I'm asking how you're doing. You know? <laughs> because we've mastered the art of being okay in front of people and presenting something that we think will be approved. In fact, sometimes we've pretended so long, we start to believe our own spin. We start to believe our own hype. And then... God really does need to take us into that wilderness place because you can fool people. You can even fool yourself, but you cannot fool God. And when you come face to face with him, wandering in the wilderness, not knowing where your next meal comes from, not knowing where your next breakthrough comes from, not knowing whether you have hope enough to last, the true you comes out. And as Hagar wanders through the desert, she enters into her masterclass. And she realizes, as we ought to realize, as we wander through our wilderness, that sometimes the wilderness experience sets us up for an encounter with God that more often than not leaves us completely transformed. I want to remember, if you will allow me, Jacob and his transformation journey as he's returning from spending many years with his uncle Laban. And he's at the bank of the river Jabbok. 
and he's about to cross over, and he knows his brother Esau is coming, and Jacob has amassed a large amount of wealth. He comes back home with two wives, two maidservants, has had children by them all, has 11 sons, many daughters, much livestock. He's a wealthy man, and he's done it all by scheming and by conniving. But it's worked. It's worked for him thus far. And he schemes and he connives one more time. He starts to send troops ahead of him. This woman's children, that woman's children, this party, go ahead. Because he reasons in his own mind that if his brother is still angry at him, then at least he will kill those ones before he gets to me. So in his mind, he is arranging them in order of priority and value. And what he's really communicating is that Jacob, the most important person to Jacob, is Jacob. And so he sends them off. And it's just, it's just Jacob now on the side of the riverbank. And the scripture tells us that an angel of the Lord appears to him and starts wrestling him. And they wrestle and they struggle and they tug and they go at it all night. And Jacob recognizes that he's not just wrestling with a man, he's wrestling with an angel of the living God. And he refuses to let him go. Because there's something that Jacob has always known. That although he's managed to amass some wealth, although he's managed to see some progress, he's done it all in his own strength and it is unfulfilling. And he is looking for a word from God. Because if God can speak a word to him, if God can speak identity to him, if God can fill that space in his life, he will stop conniving, stop chasing, stop performing, and finally live a fulfilled life. So Jacob wrestles with God all night. But here's the master class that Jacob had to enter into, that his strength is not enough. Jacob, in his strength, could not overcome the angel. And just to prove it, the angel taps him on the hip, knocks out his hip socket. And Jacob had to recognize that if I am going to get what I need from God, I can't connive for it. I can't wrestle for it. I can't do it in my own strength. I'm going to have to ask for it. So in a last-ditch effort, Jacob cries out, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Man, if he just started there, he could have saved himself a whole night of wrestling. He receives his blessing. He crosses over the bank, and he's never the same again. And so, for Hagar, She was fine, right? She was managing. Hagar and her son were struggling but managing through the desert. Wind blowing, sand blasting them, but they're going because they've still got some bread and they've still got some water. But soon enough, the bread runs out. But you know what? They've still got some strength and they've got water and they've got resolve. So they keep going, and they keep going, and they keep going. But soon enough, strength runs out, as it always does. Their strength runs out, and all she has now is is willpower. She has the will to keep going. 
the, 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 the strength of her convictions. And that's what she taps into and she keeps going. But the Bible tells us that soon enough, the water ran out. And when her water ran out, her hope ran out. Because the source of her sustenance had finished. Because the thing that gave her hope to continue, we can continue as long as we've still got a few sips of water. Because when it really gets bad, we'll start to share some of this water. And we can ration it and we can make it last. And we've got enough to continue. But as long as we've got this water, we're good. But if the water should finish, we're in trouble. The water finishes. And Hagar hits rock bottom. Scripture tells us that she goes and she puts her son under the shade of a tree. And then she goes a bow shot away and she sits there and waits for death. She has hit rock bottom. No more plans. No more strength. No more willpower. No more hope. But little does she know that it was just at that time that she was entering into her masterclass. Because, saints, when we arrive at our wit's end, when we arrive, for Jacob it was wrestling and realizing that his, his wits and his strength were not enough. Hagar had to realize that it wasn't the water that she was after. But when we arrive at, our, at, our, at, at that point of resignation, we create room for God to show up and to do his work. And so the Lord watched them wander through the wilderness until they got to that point of resignation when she hit rock bottom and there was no other plan that she could make now. And she resigned herself to what would come next. The angel of the Lord appears to her. It says, then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. See, what Hagar was doing was allowing all of the things that God needed to deal with to rise to the surface. So God wasn't finished with it. He wasn't, he wasn't just teaching her the lesson of the water. He was allowing some unhealthy habits to come to the fore. And I want you to see if you can spot a little bit of yourself in Hagar. And how she deals with the situation. Man, we've gone through a tough time. I don't want to watch this boy die. I'm going to put you here. And I'm just going to be over here. Both of us have gone through a tough time. But I don't want to watch you die. Never mind the fact that you're dying. I don't want to, I just don't want, I don't want to be part of that. I don't, I don't want to watch that. I, I can't deal with that. Me, 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 right? And so what does she do? She withdraws. She puts distance between her and the source of her pain. And how often do we do that? How often do we deal with issues that way? Withdraw from it. Because as long as I put it over there and I come over here and I put my back to it and I don't have to face it, I'm in denial. I don't have to deal with it. And if, I, if, I, if I've been feeling and I feel like I've, I've just entertained and felt so much disappointment and depression and doubt and all of these negative things, in fact, the way that I'm going to deal with that is I'm just going to numb myself and not allow myself to feel anymore. And she sits there and she starts to sob. Not, 
Not she sits there and she, and she starts to pray to God to deliver them from that situation. Not she sits there and she starts to, de- to declare the truth. No, she sits there and she starts to sob. Because her sobbing is going to move God. No. Our sobbing will move God with compassion. But our faith will move God into action. And so, I want you to observe this. There is a lesson, or there is a promise, that Hagar forgot, that caused her to lose sight of where God was taking her. God had said to her, I will make your descendants innumerable. If Hagar truly believed that God doesn't lie, then she wouldn't have gotten to the place of believing that her son was about to die. Here is the difference between Hagar and Abraham. Abraham got to a place where his son nearly died. Hagar got to a place where her son nearly died. The difference here is how they processed it. Abraham processed through the lens of who God is and not his circumstances. So right down to the moment when, when, when Abraham was raising the dagger to kill his own son, he still believed that God would fulfill the promise that he had promised to give him innumerable, innumerable amounts of descendants through the very son that he was about to kill. He still believed it. It made no sense, but he stuck to it. He still believed it because he believed that the, the force of God was more powerful than the law that was currently playing out before him. He still believed it. Hagar forgot, and she lost sight of the promise, and she lost hope. Let's stand together. There is a faith response that God was teaching her in that very moment. Not when it's tough, go sit somewhere and feel sorry for yourself and cry. Not give in and disconnect. Not numb yourself and and pretend like the situation isn't happening. The angel of the Lord said to her, in fact, I just want to remind you here. This was the promise that she received the first time she ran away. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they cannot be counted. And so when the angel encounters her, he doesn't respond to her crying, by the way. Who who, who does God respond to? God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. What is God saying? I know it's difficult. I know you don't see the fullness of the plan. 
I know you feel like you're at your wit's end. I know you feel like you've given everything and it's time to tap out. I know you feel like you're about to die. I know you feel like the dream will not be fulfilled. I know you feel like it should be, you're at that place where you should just call, call it quits. Cut your losses while you're still ahead. I know that you think that it's over, but I am still on the first promise that I made you lift up the boy, take him by the hand, because I will make him a great nation. Here's what the Lord says to you this morning. Do you have dreams? Do you have promises that you're hanging on to? Has God declared some things over you? If they are long in coming, arise. Arise from that place of hopelessness. Arise from that place of depression. Arise from that place of faithlessness. Lift up the promise. Take it by the hand. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 8? He says, from the, from, from the time of John the Baptist up until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence. And it is a violent that take it by force. And so when the angel comes to Hagar, he doesn't sympathize with her. He says, arise Hagar, lift up the boy, hold him in your hand, take the promise by force. That's the last thing I want to leave you with. Soon after that interaction, God opened Hagar's eyes, and she realized that right nearby was a well. <laughs> this, is, this is now the graduation ceremony. That was a master class. God is saying to her, very specifically, Hagar, I've always had you. Hagar, you were never in danger of dying. The promise was never in danger of leaving you. If you are trusting for money for your venture that God has spoken, has spoken over you, He is saying to you that the finances are nearby. It is not near death. If you're trusting for God to revive your marriage, He's saying to you that the well is nearby. It is not in danger of dying. If you're trusting God for your health, He's saying to you that deliverance is nearby. You are not in danger of dying. He's always had you. And when you recognize the source of your sustenance, then he opens up your eyes to see the well. Let's lift up our eyes. Let's, lift up, let's just raise our hands to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. Father, we thank you that you do not cause us to lose hope. Father, we pray that that you will just revive in us and cause us to remember the promises of all. Cause us to remember the identity that you've spoken over us. Cause us to remember the promises that you've made over us. Cause us to remember the purposes that you've called us to. And when it feels difficult, when it feels like the circumstances are against us, when it feels like our nation is going in a negative direction, cause us to rise up in faith rise up in an opposite spirit. Cause us to pass this masterclass on the wilderness with flying colors. We receive your promotion, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen.